Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. <laughs> Insane in the membrane. Hello and welcome to another edition of your favourite podcast, Insane in the Membrane, with me, Rich Wilson. And this week I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Mr. Alistair Barry. Hello. Hello, Mr. Wilson. How are you? You all right? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. And we find you in your office. You find me in my uh, At the Swedish, of your garden. Swedish sex dungeon in the bottom of my garden. There's a lot of pine in here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, all, all good. Just turn the heating on and the tumble dryer off. So we're uh, we're cooking on gas here. Oh, what a time to be alive. <laughs> I'm glad we could <laughs> I'm glad we could catch you. You're on in the middle of your tour. I am in the middle of my tour. I was in Woking last night, which is very pleasing because the show is called Woke in Progress. So uh Woking lovely. Woking was uh, was lovely. Very nice show. Uh and um support from Mr Don Biswas. And what have I got tonight? Tonight I'm just doing a regular show in High Wycombe and then I've got what else have I got? I've got the Bromsgrove coming up. I've got i've got the comedy store on the 28th of uh november which i may mention should we say every 30 seconds during the podcast because uh, that's quite a lot of <laughs> quite a lot of tickets for someone uh, of my kind of <laughs> veteran but not enormously famous status to sell so um, it's looking great but november 28th comedy store anyone in the london area or wants to fly in uh you know that would be fantastic because that is a big we're filming that as well so uh, november 28th comedy oh, store uh, and that is having a massive effect on my mental health <laughs> well you've come to the right place right. Um, I think this is the thing about being if you're being a cult figure or you know like respected but they go like, yeah but that doesn't so tickets. Cult figure. Fuck, if I was... That's, yeah. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me, mate. <laughs> I, like, I like the way cult... You went sort of cult figure and then went, no, that's not right. Respected. It, just going down to sort of... It's like, do you remember those old <laughs> yeah. timeout adjectives that would go experienced oh, and then yeah. and that was awful? And then I had one week once where I got experienced and I was like, I've only been going about three, three or four years. And then the next week I got highly experienced and I was like, well, I might as well kill oh. myself at that point. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, I don't know if cult figures it, but no, you, you, it's nice. The tour's nice. I found, you know, you find out that after 20 plus years on the circuit, there are quite a lot of people who want to come and see you, but um, I'm not mm. booking the O2 just yet. No. Well, this is your first time around, so, you know. Yeah. You never know. We'll see. This is how it starts. You've got to take that. You've got to start shot. somewhere, haven't you? Yeah. So uh, I'll be starting <laughs> November the 28th <laughs> at the Comedy Store. That's what I'll be doing. With Chris McCausland as well. I should probably add that because Chris, oh, Chris, who is above above the level of uh, cult figure and uh, actually now genuinely famous, has very kindly agreed to do the support slot, um, which I can't call the support slot, the special guest spot. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I might mention it from time to time, mate, but that's obviously not why yeah, we're here. Fun. It's, it's so no, why we're but, I mean, but, but as you said, as you said, it does those those th- things like that do affect your your mental health. When you're for comedians, when you're when you're just when you're doing the circuit, it's someone else's job to sell the tickets. Yeah, but when it's on you, the you, you don't realise how stressful that is. It's a lot. Well, I think it's that. It's also that you know that sort of for want of a better phrase, monkey on your back anyway, that you're always mm. kind of going, I should be doing more. I should be, uh, well, especially at the moment, I should be doing my TikTok and I should be doing my Instagram and my reels and all that. And, you know, what can I do? And I think that's a genuine feeling we have all the time. But when you've actually got a tour, it's a bit like it's like the Edinburgh Festival, isn't it? It's kind of like the Edinburgh Festival, but not in Edinburgh where everyone's, you're in a town full of people doing it. It's everyone mm. is, when, you, when, you, when you've got a tour, you're kind of like, 
if you're not someone who knows they can announce it and it sells out, you are constantly kind of on edge, uh, going, oh, can, I, can I sell sell tickets for November the 28th at the Comedy Store? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think yeah, every three minutes we'll do it. Okay, um, all right. I'll just I'll set some sort of alarm up. <laughs> well, well, when you, you know, the other one is, was it uh, five stars in the Scotsman? So when, when are you going to put that in? That's going to fit in somewhere. Uh, well, since you brought it up, uh, it was actually, uh, yeah, the Scotsman and Scotland on Sunday and this year, the student newspaper, but, uh, no, I, uh, you, you, but that's the thing, isn't it? That's that. I mean, we've had this conversation many times and I've seen you do it in Edinburgh as well, where you just go, I, I don't want to be the sort of constant cheerleader for my career, but someone's got to fucking do it. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And self, there used to be a thing like, um, a sort of amnesty, it's sort of the earlier days of social media are kind of because you know when you when I first went to Edinburgh and there was no Twitter and there was all you know you you you'd buy the Scotsman at the end of the day and if it went if it was good you'd put it up on your poster and that was about the level of your reach was something pritsticked to a poster um, but then very rapidly it became this like thing especially in Edinburgh of sharing everything and and people people with decency like you and hopefully me going look I'm terribly sorry if you want to mute me for the month that's absolutely fine but I am going to be <laughs> yeah. I am going to be so fucking boring for the next few weeks and I mean bless them anyone following my social media at the moment go it must be going good god really still but actually the other thing we always forget is there's a lovely quote which I've always liked which is um we would uh, we would think a lot less about what other people think of us if we realized how rarely they do and yeah, it's lovely yeah. i think that's lovely and also when you look at things like social media and you're there going I've, I've subtitled this video i'm getting that out there i'm hitting with this i'm hitting with that what's my views what you actually forget is that the algorithm isn't your friend and so much of it isn't seen and you might get thousands yeah. of views or something but it's just it's just disappears into the ether so your, which is another sort of weird thing for your mental health because you're putting all this effort in and then going, everyone must know about November the 28th. And they don't because the uh, <laughs> Facebook Facebook is not paid uh, to be your publicist until you pay it. And then as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't seem to be doing a particularly good job there either. No, no, no. This is it. And I've noticed on TikTok now, you keep getting invitations. Oh, yo, you've, you're eligible to be a TikTok seller. And yeah. All that shit from Wish that's on there. You're like, what? I'm not. I'm not. But, but you see, you know, doing it. You know, I've come on. Really, is this where we're at? But, you see, but we're all. It's like everything, isn't it? It's that old uh, line about advertising. Um, half of all money spent on advertising is completely wasted. It's just trying to work out what half. I've taken, I've taken out a couple of Facebook ads and gone. No, I don't know if they're having any effect. But then, and also, it's that mad thing that you have now, which again, I think, does have a real. I think it's quite dangerous that. You can suddenly get, especially on TikTok, um, someone said something lovely. That I keep on quoting people. I've got to think of my own versions. But um, <laughs> someone said something brilliant the other day about TikTok. They said TikTok views are very much the uh, the Zimbabwean dollar of the uh, of the view <laughs> total. Because I did a video on um, TikTok a little while ago, which is an old routine, and it got like um, got like a hundred thousand views in a day. And you you're kind mm. of going, can you imagine that in two thousand and two? If you did something got 100,000 views, you wouldn't even know what a view was, but 100,000 views in a day, you'd be going, hello, here yeah. we go, let's book uh, let's book my uh, my stadium tour. As it is now, <laughs> you look at it and go, 100,000? Wonder what I said that made that work. So oh, no. it yeah, just leaves you in a very odd position mentally. It's such an odd position. And on top of that, you've got young children that you have to take care of. And you're an well, older dude. This is what I wanted well, to talk yeah. about. I, I bet it is, mate. I bet it is what you wanted to talk about. I've got two of them. You've only got uh, you've got you one incoming, which is still incoming. I have, I, have to, I have to tell your listeners this because it's one of my favourite things, and I've known you and loved you for a very long time. But we were doing the Frog and Bucket in Manchester and went for a, a beer around the corner afterwards. It was a lovely little occasion because Steve Gribbin, another old friend, was there. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, Geordie. It was a really nice evening, and uh, you know, not not sort of doing our twenty year old smashing it thing just having a few pints no. in the chat and it was lovely but then i saw you and you just got to that point beyond beyond completely sober but just into tipsy nothing further than that and then you just mm. suddenly turned to me and went kate's having a baby and i was like oh brilliant because <laughs> you'd obviously been you'd obviously i mean clearly been sort of backing up kate's pregnant and i was like and i was we had a big cuddle because it was lovely but it also did. Did. the fact that i am having 
tremendous time as a now 52-year-old with a six-year-old and a four-year-old, which I talk about at length, um, my delightful little neurodivergence. Um, mm. The fact that you're suddenly with, you know, having done this whole with two older boys, suddenly finding yourself about to be a dad at my age, again, I, I have to say, is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. It will only be superseded by you having a second, but we've already just we've already discussed that, and I've shown you a picture of my vasectomy, so maybe we'll uh, I we'll leave it, it there. on an episode of this when I said, <laughs> did you? So I've I've already I, appeared so on this. <laughs> you've already appeared, and now you're here. Uh, I did yeah. mention. I said I did the whole thing when you were saying you're going to have another one. I'm like absolutely not, and back and forth, and then talk about getting a snip, and then you sent me a picture of your green and blue balls. <laughs> funnily enough, funnily enough, I was doing a gig with um, Marcus Brigstock the other day, and um, Marcus similar. Uh, Marcus is a couple of months younger than me, um, mm. uh, but similarly, he has two nearly grown-up children and has just had a little one with Rachel. Um, and I was like, um, you know, very rude of me to ask, but is that is that you done? Because obviously Rachel's that bit younger. And he was like, no, mm. I'm done, absolutely done. And I said, oh well, <laughs> and I and I mentioned you, and I went, oh, I was telling Rich Rich Wilson about this about the snip, and and Marcus went, oh oh yeah, actually, I might need to talk to you about that because I'm I think that's something I I might want to look into. And uh, and I said, well, I'll tell you what, because I've got a whole routine about it, because it was a majorly painful thing. And I don't want to put anyone off having a vasectomy. Mine was hell on legs. And um, and I said to Marcus, oh, and I did this show. It was a really lovely show at a golf club, Sundridge Golf Club. They were so posh and lovely. It was one of those dream gigs. Like, oh, look at the amusing gesture. It really was that. And it was a belting. But I said, I'm going to do this routine. And I got to my allotted time and realised... I hadn't done that routine, so I just finished on my vasectomy routine and came off. And Marcus was like, "Yes, well, I won't be having that done then." then so. <laughs> it has genuinely seeing that picture has genuinely put me off. I'm well, like, you know what? One of my, I'd rather just have kids. One of my one of my best mates from uh, from the Isle of Wight from many years ago, coincidentally also called Richard. Um, he had a vasectomy done and sent me his picture so it's almost like a tradition has been established <laughs> although my, my favorite thing about that was that he sent it to his, one of his other very very dear friends who thought it was so funny it's a very similar picture but it's basically clearly some deeply bruised chicken flesh um he sent the picture to a mate of his a really old mate of his uh, he thought it was so funny he put it on his phone as his screensaver and was in a really <laughs> I was in a really high-level meeting at some sort of, you know, some sort of glass-walled office in the city. And Richard phoned him. And so when Richard phoned him, this comes up, because that was his screensaver for Richard's address. And they all looked at him. In the middle of the phone, this, this ball started bouncing around in the middle of a glass table. And, oh, right, fucking awesome. <laughs> what was... Because I've not, I've not really... I know a few people that have had it done, but I haven't spoken really in depth about it. On the day that you were going to go and have it done, what were you feeling in the morning, like on the way before? You know, what was your? Well, I'm very, I'm at? very. Well, no, I'm very. Um, I've got. A, I thought I had a very kind of my equilibrium towards things like that is fairly standard. I mean, I come from a medical family. I've had mm. a couple of operations in the past. I've never been bothered by by medical stuff. But I mean, a good example actually is you know. Um, my wife Emily had uh, breast cancer 2015 mm, yes. and this is actually a very interesting thing about this which you know feeds into what we'll, we'll be talking about um, as soon as Emily was diagnosed with cancer I mean I was actually in Afghanistan at the time but that's a whole mm. different story um, I was like right okay so that's what we're going to do but, and I was just calm as you like because I think part I always thought was because I came from a medical family having like every other comedian on God's clean earth recently been diagnosed with ADHD. Um, I was talking to someone else who isn't a comedian with ADHD, who, when he got his diagnosis and he's much more obviously kind of ADHD than me. Um, when he got his diagnosis, his mum said, that's interesting because you're really good in a crisis. And that's quite a common thing mm. about ADHD people is they are really good in a crisis. Like loads of um, A&E doctors and uh, what have you are of ADHD because they kind of focus in a crisis because their brain is basically constantly in crisis. It's always right. like a, a bit like we were talking about earlier, that kind of monkey on your back going, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do that. And there's a lovely phrase mm. that someone used for um, ADHD. It's like your brain is constantly 40 tabs open, 
which I always love because I've always got too many tabs open. I mean, I'm looking at my computer screen now going, why have I got four tabs open when I'm doing a podcast with Rich? That's fucking insane. Um, and so my general approach to anything medical, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is pretty calm. Um, and the other thing is I didn't want to have a vasectomy. Um, but when your wife has had breast cancer, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, double mastectomy, reconstruction... Then you're told you can't have children, so she, well, you've gone through IVF, but then you don't need the IVF because you managed to have two children, naturally. The first one, M was in labour for five days. Uh, oh obviously, God. the second one, something had cleared out of the way because the second one took 22 minutes. But um, <laughs> when your wife's done all that and then goes, you need to get the snip, I mean, you haven't got a leg to stand on. I, well, Not really. What I, what I didn't realise was that afterwards for two weeks I wouldn't have a fucking leg to stand on. I... <laughs> Uh, but I went into it's it kind of bad. calmly. Wow. Um, I went into it very calmly, thinking because mm. I, I trust I trust the medical profession. My dad was mm. one, so which so to my and I'm always slightly amazed by people who don't. But then you look at the way the NHS is now, and I talk to my parents. And now that my dad is he's been retired twenty years, um, and he's not that well, and their interactions with the health service they're like but this is awful i mean it's, and i'm like this is what the health service is like for everyone it's just yeah. that for years you were in it and so you know something was wrong you you gave john a call and he came and had a look and all the rest of it so i've always been very trusting of the health service my parents are starting to realize what the health service is actually like <laughs> and i was told i mean this was the thing that got me is that so many mates because obviously i'm at that age the amount of mates had gone oh yeah no just like a small tugging sensation and you're like, okay, I just thought that'd be it. And okay, mm. you know, the uh, the local's going to hurt, obviously, because, you know, there's, as I say on stage, they are spearfishing your gonads. So <laughs> you do know that's going to hurt, but you think that's... And then, honestly, mate, the first... He was like, right, here we go. And fuck me. It just, I, I screamed oh. like I was not expecting. It's like, you know that feeling when you get kicked in the nuts, except instead of being kicked, it's almost like someone had a pulley and just went, yank! And I was like, oh, and I fucking screamed. And then um, apparently it might be because I've had, I had years and years ago, I had a little, basically what's, this is not something I was going to discuss in public, but it's, uh, <laughs> I think we can do that. I had something called a varicose which is basically a varicose vein in your bollock. And that was, that was like, that was, no, but that, no, no, it's just like a little lump. And that right. was 30 years ago. And they tied it off and it was all fine. Um, and I'd gone for a consultation before, and they said, no, you have to have the consultation because you've had that, but it'll be fine. So anyway, it wasn't fine. And so then he he went, oh, maybe I should put some more anaesthetic in. I was like, do you fucking reckon? What do you mean you could have put? Jesus. And then he did it again on the other side. And um, and oh, I, I my knee shot up so fast, it smashed him in the shoulder and sent him flying, which was genuinely my favourite part of the whole day. And... Um, and so and I afterwards I was like he went I don't know why you, he, well the phrase he actually used at the time which still drives me mad was that's an unusual level of discomfort which <laughs> so, fuck off <laughs> and um I and afterwards he said I know this is like, I do have to ask was it painful like and I know clearly it was but I have to ask this on a scale of because I think most people say on a scale of one to ten it was about a five you know it was a bit uncomfortable and mm. I was like fucking ten mate that was a ten ow <laughs> And and then you, you're all strapped up, and you, I sort of went back to my in-laws and stayed on the sofa for two days. Um, and I thought I was okay after that, and then I probably did a few too many steps that day. And then, mm. yeah, a week later, I was still not right. And then, then it eventually calmed down, and it all seems to be all right now. But the actual, I was under the impression the actual process itself, the operation, would be just yeah, a little a little itch, and fuck me, it was not. And, they, oh, and they, yeah, and then they hell. said, "I said, was it?" And he said, "It might be because of, it might be because of the varicocele." And I was like, "You said before it wasn't." And he went, "Well, we were probably wrong." No, <laughs> fucking cheers. So I don't want to put anyone anyway, off having having one. No. But anyway, but uh, but I probably. Oh have. God. Good lord! Do you know what? I'm not. I, yes. So Angela Barnes. Every time I'm on tour with her, I'm glad that Angela Barnes I... is the first thing that popped into your mind after we were discussing this. By the way, that's that's. <laughs> I'm getting that. Wait, no, there's a reason. <laughs> going back to a previous thing you said. <laughs> yeah, speaking of... <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. Uh, it's, uh, so every time I'm with her, 
And every time I say, I said, I, I tell her what's happened in the week or what, what's been happening or what I've said or done or whatever. And she's like, yeah, that's ADHD. And I'm like, oh, it's just probably, yes. But now you've mentioned it with the in a, in a crisis. I'm the same. Whenever mm. something is really, the shit's really hit the fan, it's like everything kind of slows down and I can see it in front of me. And I'm like, yeah. right, this is what we need to do. And there's not, and it's, it's a confidence like no other it just kind of goes right we're going to do this and yeah. everyone's like yeah, 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 yeah we'll do that yeah and it, it just comes out of nowhere and it's happened a few times yeah the rest I mean, of the time I've just come absolute clown shoes but when it's a crisis yeah but that's the thing like the disorganisation I mean I've, what I've found um, interesting I was very firm because I did, an, I did an interview the other day to um, publicise the uh, comedy store on the November the 28th and um, <laughs> that's more than three minutes and uh, but the guy the journalist who interviewed me had uh, recently interviewed Angela and uh, she is um, not what's the word I want to say um, I don't want to make it sound unpleasant it, it, not preaching but um Oh, you know the word when people sort of like really want to tell you about something they found out about, and it's oh, I can't think of. Well, yeah, it's called. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. Someone will have to think of that. Yeah, <laughs> when you're quite oh fucking not messianic. That's horrible. That's not true it's, at all. But it's, no, some... a, it's a religious quote. It's a religious word, isn't it? it when you're quite yeah. Wow, God. Yeah, we're, but we're getting really old and we've both got word blood. <laughs> Evangelical. 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 God almighty. Well done, is, Producer Paul. That is, Producer Paul, you're an absolute legend. And that is a, I think that tells us all we need to know about our mental health at this point. There's two 50-year-old <laughs> men, one with two young children, one with a young child on the way, both with word blindness. And probably should finish, we should, what we should do now is finish the podcast, have a cup of milky tea and go to bed because I think we found <laughs> out where we're at. Um, she is, she's quite evangelical about it because obviously it's had a massive impact on her. I think mm. because Angela had, uh, I'm not saying anything um, that isn't in the public domain at this point, I think Angela had, had a long time sort of like looking at mental health issues and, and, and as mm. often happens with ADHD, treatment for depression and stuff and, and drugs for depression. And now that she's found ADHD as, you know, he's, he's quite like, and the thing is when you're a comedian to say, uh, she's evangelical she's not she's just she's like she's found her tribe as we all do yeah because the vast majority of comedians have adhd it's just i mean it's interesting 80 percent of the prison population have adhd lots of people lots of weird tribes have it yeah and um and i, I think the co- prison population could be termed creative well in a sense uh the <laughs> <laughs> the um the thing is about it i mean Actually, funny enough, I was talking to Brigstock about this as well, and he was saying, you know, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's people who go, I've just found out I've got ADHD. And it's like, what, you you didn't know? And Ed Burns' show this year, which was, if you haven't seen it, mate, honestly, Ed's show about oh, Paul really? and his brother, it's, it's, oh, it's mm. genuinely, I mean, it's absolutely hilarious, but also I knew Paul quite well, hadn't seen him for quite a while, and it was I hadn't really said goodbye in my head, I think, and I was just at the end, of the, I was with a friend, and I just weeping, mm. but it was brilliant. But he's... Ed's been diagnosed with ADHD, and yeah. uh, and he said, "Beautiful." And I'll, I'll ruin his accent, obviously, because that's what the English do to the Irish. But he did just go discovered I had ADHD, which for a comedian is like finding out you had skin, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's a lovely line because um, I do. I just think it's, it's so you know all the things that make us sort of creative in the way we do what we do, but also. The, the nuts and bolts of it, the not wanting to have anyone else be your boss, the kind of slight, mm. oh, I can drop everything and go over here and do that. And it can be a problem if you're totally disorganised. And what I found uh, interesting with, with it is that I have got, since I've been on medication for it, I've got more done than I have mm. ever got done in my life. It's like starting the day with um, some really, really bloody good coffee. Um, it, but it's not good coffee. It's fantastic, mm. clean amphetamine, slow release. <laughs> and But there is an element, which is interesting as well, of still that, that doesn't improve your organisational skills. So your executive right. function, the function the function bit's going a million miles an hour. The executive side is going, I think a tour show in Newcastle, followed by one in Southend, followed by one in Cumbria, uh, followed by one in the Outer Hebrides, followed by the Silly Isles. Sounds like an excellent programme. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I've organised it. It's done. Um, so I do find the... Because, um, no, the ADHD thing for me has been very interesting. I And I know a lot of people are really bored of it as well. Though. That's the other thing. Like I talk about it on stage mm. a bit because I've got stuff that makes it funny. But then, I mean, I went to see Phil Ellis at um, Soho Theatre on 
Tuesday, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday and uh, brilliantly silly as ever. He's got mm. a big bit about ADHD, you know, just going, oh, you've got fucking ADHD. And just basically taking the piss, <laughs> which it needs as well. Yeah. And you don't want... I think what's really funny is the way that a few years ago, or in a couple, maybe three, look, quite a lot of people were doing kind of my ADHD journey shows as though this is mm. it's now become the point where literally every comedian is going, we can't all have a journey. You know, we've all, <laughs> it, 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 it's the, it's the same mindset. And I had, sorry, I keep on going off on tangents because that's me, but um, ADHD, um, the prison thing is interesting. And this might sound very, um, uh, arrogant i suppose but when mm-hmm. i was being diagnosed i had a three-hour session with the the um consultant and i said you know the thing is i'm 51 i've i've got this far without really thinking there was a problem so i find it kind of weird also you do go fuck if i'd known this 30 years ago maybe i'd have turned up to university occasionally that sort of thing <laughs> uh, and he said something interesting he goes well the thing is you're um you're all right because you're clever and that mm. is the problem if you're clever, then A, you learn how to sort of, you know, to, to suppress some of the things that might be more annoying ADHD-wise, and you also, you, you know, you use it to for its good effects, creative, mm. etc. The problem with, uh, he, he said, the problem is, the, it's a terrible thing to say, but it's the, it's the people who aren't that bright who've got ADHD, who aren't educated, and it just causes behavioural problems that then... Oh, then they're treated as a problem, so then they just behave worse and it exacerbates the problem, which mm. is, sadly, why so much of the prison population has ADHD, because when they were kids, they were told they were wrong'uns, so they behave yeah. like wrong'uns, and, and you just go down a slippery slope, and it's awful. That's why I think this is one of the positive things about us, everybody now talking about ADHD and making it mainstream, for want of a better word. Um, but it's interesting. Because it means things are getting looked at. It is, but then you get someone like Lee Anderson, the Tory cunt, let's be honest, um, mm. saying, oh, this isn't ADHD, it's just bad parenting. And funnily enough, I mean, I'm sure we could talk at some length about my parents and their view of these things, uh, which is not. <laughs> um, well, as, as we were funnily enough talking about uh, Victorian things before we came on air, <laughs> my parents are living presently on the Isle of Wight in, uh, in the Victorian era. She's still very much alive and living in Osborne House. And I love my parents dearly, but they are a bit like, it's that thing going, well, that's, it's just what people are. And it is what people are. But at the same time, I look back now at how terrible I was at revision was, yes. I, I was shit. But I was really good at exams. I was academically very bright, but mm. didn't really apply myself because I didn't need to, because I was just naturally pretty gifted, mostly in the arts. I wasn't that good at science. Um, and I look back now, and, and university is another big one because I basically I got away with it all the way through university. To university, I did. I got straight A's all the way through. Was uh, went applied to Oxford, didn't get in. Ended up at King's College London. Didn't want to be there, and that was. Uh-huh. And I just did nothing. And a little bit of me goes, if I'd had the motivation, that might have changed things. But there's no point. There's no point in looking back at something that happened in my late teens, early twenties, and regretting it because no, what are you going to do? But if we have a more sensible grown-up conversation now, my kids both are showing definite signs of ADHD and possibly ASD, and we're having to have them looked at privately because yeah. the NHS is such a bin fire. Um, mm. And my wife is incredible, and she's such an amazing advocate for them. And the reading she does, um, as I say in the show, <laughs> I don't do the reading. I've uh, I've got ADHD, but um, <laughs> she, you know, if we can help them. All you want to do as a parent is help your children to achieve their full potential. Yes. And we were staying with my mum and dad over half term, and I love them dearly, but it is, you know, literally, my <laughs> they can't say anything positive about anything. I mean, I had a joke in the show <laughs> before last about taking my kids down when they had COVID to try and uh, pass it on so I'd get the house. And yes. uh, and then said uh, and then said you know I realised that was that was ridiculous. No way my parents were going to get COVID because they can't be positive about fucking anything. <laughs> and um, I mean, I was down there, and honestly, it's like you know, oh well, you put a lot of water in the kettle to make. Oh yes, I have. But just Ooh. and then she looked. I had, I didn't know. And I knew, know you're like this because you're a trainer's man. I had a lovely new pair of gazelles. Emma bought me for my birthday. And my mum went, oh, I do like those trainers. Not that I approve of trainers. And you're going, oh my, do you approve of anything? But they, when I got, 
when we sort of when the ADHD thing came up, the reason I looked into it is because Beth Black came to stay and she basically showed my wife the symptoms. And my wife looked at me and went, "That's fucking you." Yeah. And that's when, and we then we realised maybe the kids were behaving like they were because it's genetic, eighty percent passed on. Um, and uh, so I'd mentioned this to my folks because I wanted to keep them in the loop. You do a questionnaire, and the really interesting thing about the questionnaire, if it's done properly, this is, is you do one your partner does one and if possible your parents do one so mine was like loads of things was like sometimes or often always or mine was often emily's was always and my parents were like oh very rarely and <laughs> on my mother bless her on the bottom of the questionnaire wrote like it's, it's a multi multi multiple choice you don't need to write anything on it at the bottom, mm. my mother wrote, "We think it's ridiculous. We're asking these questions thirty, forty years after the fact." He was a very, he was a very uh, normal young boy who's grown into a very positive man. And it's like, Jesus, where did that come from? <laughs> and so they think it's rubbish. And then I get the diagnosis, and my parents have this incredible ability that if something happens that they don't want to engage with, they pretend it hasn't happened. It's mm. like that that uh, that that monster in Hitchhiker's Guide that's so stupid that if you put a bag over your head, it thinks it, it can't see you because you can't see it. And I, so I didn't, I just went, I've, yeah, I've just, I left, I parked it. I wasn't going to go into it because I didn't see the point particularly. Um, and then I wanted to, my parents to be involved with their grandchildren. And I said, look, we are doing this because they are a real struggle. Um and I've been trying to communicate to them that the, the kids' behaviour has been really difficult. And to the extent that we've gone, it shouldn't... It, we know bringing up kids is hard, but should it be this hard? Yeah. And so we've we've sort of gone down this route and we are looking into it and we've already had a couple of assessments that seem to indicate we're correct. Um, but I'd mentioned this to my parents and then, you know, we're down there for two days. They live on the Isle of Wight. They see the kids a couple of days every few months. And after a couple of days, we were about to go back and my mother said, uh, and I, I was saying something about having having difficulty getting the ADHD drugs at the moment, which is quite a sort of global problem. And so, and I just mentioned it to Emily because I'm all right, but I was saying, I think I might have to go, blah, blah. And my mother went, oh, is that your drugs for something? And I went, no, it's actually my ADHD drugs. And my mum kind of went, oh, yes, well, uh, we haven't talked about that, have we? And I was like, no, and immediately moved it away from me because she doesn't want to engage with that. She went, mm. no, because we, uh, we've decided, this is a brilliant phrase, I saw Emily's face just go, I saw it go from zero to she went, we've decided there's no problem. Oh, wow. I was like, Sorry. We've decided there's not a problem. And I went, do you know what, mum? I'm not, I'm not actually going to discuss this with you because you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and you're disagreeing with professional opinion. And my mother went, well, actually, I was a children's ward nurse. Yes, in the 60s with autistic children. Autistic children in the 60s were severely disabled children severely yeah. severely severely and physically as well as mentally and that was that was autism then the mm. whole definition has moved on massively and and i went and i just knew i was going to get angry and i have a bit of a rule with my parents that i can't really stay longer than two nights because i will tell them to fuck off and <laughs> um i just they'll, they'll make me angry and i'll lose my temper and it's not a good thing and so I kind of went, I'm, I can't talk about it. And my mum, and I heard Emily say this, and bless her for this. Um, and my mum was like, well, we just, you know, we think your children are wonderful. And Emily went, I don't think my children <laughs> aren't wonderful. I think that they have a possible neurological condition, which your son has, and you've refused to even enter into kind of entertaining, which yeah. has been incredibly hurtful to him. Now, being me, I don't think it has been incredibly hurtful to me because I'm just like, well, that's my parents, that's the way they are, you know, blah, 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 I love them dearly, but they are they are what they are. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, it was the idea that my mum kind of, was, they're wonderful, they can't possibly. And yeah, we yeah, kind yeah. of let, Emily then spent the next two days just really worried that she'd upset my mother. And I was like, yeah, don't worry about that, love, she doesn't get upset. Um, <laughs> and, but yeah, is that, that, I mean, the, the older generation just going, we, when I told them about the possibility of an ADHD and ASD diagnosis, the three things my mum said were, well, we wouldn't tell you how to bring up your children, but we just think more discipline. And the thing is, more discipline with the way my kids are is just going to make life fucking hell. If you're every mm. second of the day going, sit still, do this, do that. I mean, Fen, Fen my eldest, got, she was getting moved around at school and put on a different chair 
because she would fidget. And if she was on a chair, it let her legs wobble about, which is quite common with ADHD children. And I said to my mum, oh, she's been put on a chair away, uh, above the other children. And my mother was like, to make an example of her? And I was like, no. No, not to make, no, to, because it helps. Then she can, her concentration is improved if she can sort of like move her legs about. So, oh, but she said, she said more discipline. And I'm like, all right, well, and I, because I, I don't know about you, and you know, obviously you've, you're going to have this all over again, but you had your boys many years ago. I yeah. swing between Victorian dad going, you, well, you must do as you're told, mm, and I am the yeah. power in this house. And hippie dad <laughs> going, hey, you just want to let them express themselves and they'll find their own path. And I hate both of those cunts, but I, you've got to be somewhere in the middle of that. Yes. Um, but the fun, yes. what did they say? They said, um, yeah, dis- we think more discipline, which was interesting when we took them down because my mum was just basically rude to my kids for two days. And Emily was looking wow. at me going, why is she being rude? And I said, is she, is she trying to be, is she trying to discipline them? And I was like, yeah, I think that's what's happening here. Um, the other one she said is, um, oh, it's great. She goes, um, well, we just, uh, we, we think you're, uh, we think you're doing too much reading and scaring yourselves. And I was like, that's funny. You never said that when I was doing my A-levels. Uh, and then the last one, because my dad was a doctor and we have a, kind of culture that we've inherited from the states of suing doctors uh especially when they've done nothing wrong but you know my dad was a gynecologist so if someone had a baby that had a birth defect they would sue my dad and he had people saying to him uh we know you did everything you could but we can get some money so that's what we're doing so they are very anti-litigation and my parents are like yes well we think the reason all these people are discovering adhd is is because uh, teachers are scared of getting sued and i was like no one on the planet (laughs) has thought of that apart from you so their their sort of approach to it was 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 quite interesting and they yeah yeah, i think it's safe to say they're not on board (laughs) hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You mentioned Emily a lot, and she's she's an absolute powerhouse. What yeah. she's been yeah, through she is, is I don't have the words to describe it like she's faced like the the, the worst thing imaginable and come out the other being side. married to a comedian yeah no, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right. that's what i meant yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it, that to come through that and then still have that fight that she has is incredible it must she's, have been a really uh, difficult period for you all well yes um but also i think the one thing i would say about cancer i wouldn't I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. No. Um, but I'm really glad we went through it, if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, of course it makes sense. I'm the one who just stood by going, uh, yeah, I'm running a marathon for uh, doing a comedy show for my wife <laughs> who's got uh, this thing growing inside her that wants to kill her. But I'm uh, I'm coping, thanks. Never mind um, that, I'm running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't even think you'll find... I think you'll find I'm at Soho Theatre, May 18th. With my, but um, no, I, I was in awe of her... Um, she has since said, as, as we were saying at the beginning, that the fact that I was so kind of like matter of fact about it was was an inc- was a great mm. help to her. Because one of the most amazing things about cancer is is other people's reactions. And there's a great kind of um, diagram, which is basically sort of concentric circles going out from the middle. And basically, 
the person who's most important is the person in the middle of that circle and that is the person mm-hmm. with cancer whatever they say is right and then outside that is their nearest and dearest their partner their children whatever and what they so you know they they count out to her in the middle but everything outside that count out to them and mm-hmm. and as it goes out and it what is amazing is those people who, who uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a couple of relatives who go, you know, oh, I, I, I found it so difficult to cope with your cancer. <laughs> Did you? Oh, wow. Did you really? Wow. Okay. It, but and people are terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But and, but there's all kind. But the whole point of anyone, and I think this is probably true of mental mental health as well. But cancer definitely. There's no. There's nothing. There's no wrong. What you're doing is not wrong. Mm. What you're doing. Everyone. Everyone's thing is different and the way everyone approaches it is different some people want all the knowledge some people like em did some people want to just go i'm just going to just stand back and let them do what they're going to do um you know this kind of oh god you're so brave em wrote an amazing um essay about the fight and how Mm. people talk about the fight i'm not gonna fight i'm a battleground and there's a fucking fight going on inside me but that's between cancer and drugs it's not me i'm not brave i'm just dealing with being a battleground um so yeah well the basically the sort of the the view of people from outside is and but it can be entirely i've i mean i had a couple of occasions when i was because i did do the show about it and mm. i had some i had some wrong information i i thought stage four cancer meant that you were basically terminal and i this woman accosted me outside my show in edinburgh and went can i just tell you stage four is not terminal and i went sorry she went I've got stage four cancer and I'm not fucking terminal. And then, and then sort of talked down and then we had a bit of a chat and it was fine. Mm. And I, cause I was immediately like, I'm so sorry. I, yeah, and yeah, she, yeah. Her, she sent me a, a message on social media the next, that, that evening going, I'm so sorry. I basically verbally attacked you outside your show. And I thought your show was great. It's just that, you know, that's it. And I went, listen, yeah, whatever yeah, you say is right. And more importantly, she educated me. Because it isn't necessarily terminal. No, I thought and it I'd was. Misunderstood yeah. some... No, basically, I mean, stage four is not good. It's metastasized to a, beyond its original site, etc., etc., etc. But it is perfectly possible to recover. It's it's less likely because it's another stage on. Um, mm. And I was I was like, thank you so much for, um, uh, for for educating me. And I need to hear shit like that because I don't want to be getting that wrong because someone else might not say that and and come away feeling worse but the really interesting one was um i was doing a show in cambridge a little village called Bourne, just outside yeah i know and it's outside Bourne hall which is where emily and i went to get our ivf before she started chemo mm. um because that's you do that if you can you do ivf before chemo because chemo fucks your fertility so anyway, right, okay. this is all after the fact, all finished, kids, etc. And I'm doing a show in the pub, literally over the road from Bourne Hall. And I did some material about going there. It was very, it was very funny when it happened because when I came back from Afghanistan, when I, when Emily had been diagnosed, um, don't know if you know this. When you do IVF, um, you have to clear your tubes out beforehand. Then you give a sample a couple of days later, and mm. if that's fine then you wait a little while longer and then you give the proper sample. So Emily, being the most organised person in the world, got this very organised. While I, while I was literally trying to get back from Afghanistan and I got mm. this, there's a whole story I did about it, but literally I had to be broken into Kabul airport by American special forces um, wow. and then bribe my way through the airport and it was a mad... And then suddenly you're on an Emirates flight going, mm. with someone going, peanuts? And you're like, I've just been in a <laughs> bloody hell. Um, and we landed in Dubai and I got this text message from Emily going, you're not going to like this, um, but we've got our appointment tomorrow. You need to clean out your tubes now. Try not to get arrested. And it was the <laughs> fact that on the day that I broke into uh, Kabul International Airport uh, with American Special Forces, the most dangerous thing I had to do was have a wank in Dubai Airport. <laughs> and so I had this whole bit about that and then about Bourne Hall and what it's like to do IVF and then the fact that my wife had cancer and some of the stuff that had been in the show. And I got this message afterwards from this woman going, we uh, we loved your show this evening, but could you please do me a favour and never do any of that cancer material again? And I was like, oh, uh, well, I can't promise you that. No, why? And she, and she said, and it turns out she has had cancer for, and it's, probably it seems to be terminal and she's had it for 13 years and she was with both her teenage boys 
And because she was a lovely person, her concern was that her teenage boys were going, this bloke's talking about cancer, which my mother's got. Mm. And I said to her, look, I'm so sorry that you've been upset by this, but I cannot guarantee I won't do that material again because that was how we dealt with it. We made yeah. jokes about it. We laughed about it. I mean, you know, and it gets very dark. My favourite joke of all was Wayne Deakin. You know, Wayne, lovely yep. Australian comic, good mate. Um, just after she was diagnosed, Wayne and I went and played golf. Oh, right. And uh, Wayne was like, so, uh, so Em's got cancer. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he went, oh, so uh, you're going to do a show about it? And I went, <laughs> yeah, I think I am. I think I am. And there was this big pause and he went, I'll give you a tenner if she dies at the end. <laughs> and what was oh funny about God. that, well, we both fell about, right? And we yeah. went back and told Emily, and she thought it was the funniest thing she'd ever heard. When I did that in the show, um, sometimes it would take the roof off. Sometimes mm. the room would just stare at me like, how is that funny? And you have to justify this to yourself not to anyone else and i could justify every single i like to think i can justify every single joke i do and um so when this woman said to me please don't i said look i'm sorry but i and i so sympathize and nothing you say is wrong but i you know you saw i had a great gig and mm. she bless her heart she came back good oh my god i'm so sorry i've I wonder if I, I just wonder if this disease has made me bitter, and I was just like, no, absolutely mm. not. It hasn't made you bitter. She'd been going. She'd been undergoing chemo for twelve years. Oh my god! Like, you've got. If I, God knows what I'd be like. I saw M after the first session. It's horrific. Yeah. And and I was like, you feel however you want to feel, but I feel that those jokes are they're not dismissive. They're not um, cheapening anything, um, and. Actually, she said, I think I was just worried about my children. And we had this mm. really beautiful conversation, which I've kept. Um, I, funny enough, I showed it to the promoter the next time I worked for him. And he was like, that's such a lovely... Because it wasn't... You get people coming up to you going, how dare you do this about that? But it was a really lovely exchange of views where yeah. I... Because I also thought, hang on, you know, I did a whole cancer show that was a cancer show. If you come to a comedy club and suddenly thinking, oh, I want a night off from it, <laughs> and someone's mm. doing cancer, you know, then you can understand. Yeah. Um, but it was such a lovely exchange of views. And and she, I said, look, anytime you want to come to a show, drop me a line, I'll get you and your kids tickets. Because um, I do think the best way to approach it is to talk about it. But that Absolutely. doesn't mean that if someone says, I didn't enjoy you talking about it, your first reaction should be, fuck off. No, you, mm. like on everything, engage and communicate. If we did yeah. that more everyone will be better off. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I mean, that's the... I think that's the main theme of this podcast is that is just engage and communicate. It, it, And I've learned that the hard way by not. And always be worried that oh, I'm going to upset this person if I'm if I'm honest about how I'm really feeling. And every single time, I've, especially in the last few years, and I've just gone, right, this is, this is actually how I feel about this. And they've gone, oh, mm. oh yeah, all right. And we've had a brilliant chat. And yeah. with something as heavy as that, like a loved one being diagnosed with something so awful, I think you, to not talk about it or to kind of dance around it a bit would, would create so much pressure, which would be even more damaging than joking about it. Well, yeah, it, but that, you know, as I say, yeah. that is also, that's also something like cancer. That is, um, you find quite a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And the mm. other thing is as well... Um, Especially when, like, when it first happens, it's that, um, you know, it's the, the modern world, isn't it? You put it up on Facebook and everyone's like, oh, my God, babe. Oh, yeah. And that, but, but literally, the initial kind of flurry of outward emotion is one thing. It's that thing four months down the line when you're sat on the sofa hugging a water bottle and, you know, no one's thought because it doesn't stop. Um, and, and so the communication, especially with someone like that, has to continue. Um, and it's actually much easier for people to go, oh, I sent a bunch of flowers in January and I haven't had to worry about it until, oh, good, no evidence of disease. And there's the, the whole 10 months in between is, is where yeah. the support is more important. It must have been horrible. I mean, it was hor obviously it was horrible for Emily, but it must have been horrible for you to see a loved one go through that. I don't know. I've, I've only ever really experienced it once before. My friend's mum had cancer and sadly passed away. And I used to, and I saw her go from because she was one of the, it was my friend's mum. I had feelings for her when I was a kid, you know, mm. like you know, and so yeah. to see her go from that to just be taken down 
by this awful disease was truly heartbreaking. And so to be with but someone think, like your wife in that position... But I think, I genuinely think, and I don't know, but this is how I am, it was almost like I, I never even entertained the possibility for a moment that this was going to be terminal. Mm. Um, Emily did. Her family right. did. Friends did. Wow. I was just like, no, it's not going to happen. And I was, and I almost, and I don't know if that was denial or whatever, but I was, I didn't even think it was going to, I never considered the possibility. Mm. Um, I do now because there's always, a, I mean, Emily had, Emily opted for a double mastectomy because it gives you a much better insurance against cancers returning. Um, she didn't have to have one, but she would have been unbalanced and uncomfortable. So she just went, let's mm. just get rid of them. Um, um, but, and so now there is always, because it's always at the back of your mind that something could come back. So I would be lying if I said I didn't, it wasn't slightly that at the back of my mind now, but mm. when she was being treated, I genuinely didn't even entertain the thought. So it was tough. The, the toughest bit by a long way was her first chemo because she was so ill mm. and literally, you know, just things flying out of either end and just, it was awful. And then you are looking at someone you love in genuine pain and you mm. are utterly helpless, and that it's frustration. And yeah. But I mean, what you said about your friend's mum. I mean, I remember a very good friend of mine, my family, um, like woman who I knew as sort of like mm. as my second mum, and her brother got MS, and I saw him going from a perfectly normal bloke to you know terrible, like spasticated movement, and just mm. and I used to help him smoke cigarettes, and that was heartbreaking, just because it's a physical embodiment of of a physical disease. Yeah. Um, and that is very hard. And especially when you go, you know, because we're all, we're all human and we all kind of go, oh my God, someone over there is looking extremely uncomfortable. And it's, it's not a good thing, but it's also a very, it's a very human thing. And I mean, I think that's like, I had a joke about this, which I think is in, never quite made it to, to performing, but um, uh, natural doesn't necessarily mean good. It's like mm. I happen to think racism is natural because humans do. If the, humans are nothing if not tribal, so you're always looking for differences with someone else. There can't be a clearer indication of difference than the fact that someone is a different colour to you. So mm. being suspicious of someone who is different is natural. That doesn't make it good. Cancer <laughs> is natural. All right. Yeah. It doesn't mean good. No. <laughs> and if you want to, yeah, if you, yeah. you want to just cut oh, that out great. as a little bit of the podcast going, Alistair Barry says racism is, is natural. Uh, as, as the, um, that's going to be the be bit. Really... Gonna, oh, yeah, yeah, get... Just across it. Insane in the membrane. Get... Yeah. <laughs> Who fucks clowns Alistair Barry says? No. We'll it's get the like right a font. cancer. We'll get the right font. For the <laughs> link. Just Dripping it'll be blood. F... Yeah. yeah. It'll be a hashtag FYP. Oh, it's gonna, we're going to go all out with this one. Um, but but I can I ask realize, you something? Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah. Well, because you said about making it, um, that's what the podcast has become about. Mm. Why did you start a podcast about mental health? Is that for that reason, to talk about your mental health? It all happened by, I told, I was in a green room with Milo McCabe, and he asked me how I was, and I told him, like, literally, actually, I honestly told him. I'm really depressed, because I'm not as good looking as you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're so tall and handsome, look at you. (sighs) He's like he's been chiseled from fucking marble. Um, he's get, he gets, gets better with age. It's fucking. He irritating. does. Anyway, so he's, you, he's, you said that to him, and he said he I said, said to start a podcast. Well, no, because I I was already uh, at the same time I'd done another podcast um, called Hardcore Listings, and Brad Acton, who was the one of their producers, uh, messaged me and said, um, "Thought you were great. You should do your own podcast." And he came round one day, and we were just we just I didn't know what it was going to be about, and we just sat and we went right, let's have a chat and just see what happens. And mm. he started he started talking and he told me this incredible story, really deep and 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 he said afterwards, he said, I've never told anyone this before. He goes, You have right. something about you that brings out this in people. You should do this. This should be the podcast. And I was like, Yeah, yeah okay, cool. And then I was just sat, sat on my bed and insane in the membrane popped into my head because it was just misheard lyrics from way yeah, back yeah. always rattle around in your ADHD brain yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. I was like oh yeah and it kind of just happened and what it is now it's that it's about communication it's about opening up and it's about it's more about me learning it's about I I get to speak to people such as yourself about things I don't really know much about and therefore I'm being educated and then anyone listening will go oh yeah I didn't know that either so you know like not so, knowing about stage so four when... things like that so 
so when you said to Milo how you were feeling, mm. so were you, you were in a bad place at the time? I was coming out of a bad place. I just had I'd started doing counselling, so it was that I'd said to him, I'm just I've just had a load of counselling and he went, What? I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I just started counselling. And, and then he got into it because he's a, he's a uh, psychotherapist or analyst. He's one of Is those. He? Yeah. Is yeah, he? he did that. Yeah, yeah. One of them, he's also been a, he was also, um, uh, what's his name? Who's Mr. The Universe. Sexist yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Tim Booth. Tim, Tim Booth's Booth. drummer. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. And now he's on. And now he's now the Troy Hawk is a massive star. I fucking hate Milo. Can we you just call this that I hate Milo McKay? <laughs> <laughs> he's not having a vasectomy. That would ruin the future of the human race. He'd knock down um, half of London if he had a vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. Oh, that's um, no. That's because yeah. I, I I I wondered that because like no, I think and also because mm. no, you you know you and I are very good mates and we go back a long way. We and we've had some lovely times. Um, Oh, we've had but some I think that times. is a very, you know, you're very, yeah, we've had some, uh, but you're a very empathetic bloke, and that's nice. Because I do think that, because um, I, I don't, but I don't know that I've ever talked to you about counselling and stuff, because I don't no. know, I think we, we, we're fairly open and honest with each other anyway, because I have done more counselling as time has gone on myself. Mm. And it's quite interesting with, like, I first went and got some counselling in, like, uh, about 15 years ago. And I'd had a breakup that I had taken badly, but not really realised until mm. I tried to unbreak it and realised. And basically, I was in a, just in a fucking awful mood. Um, and uh, what it basically turned out, and I, so someone said, I, you should go and see someone. And I did. I met, went to this woman in King's Cross, which sounds a terrible start to a story. Um, and, <laughs> 30 uh, years ago, maybe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, 30 years ago, so she was fit. No. Um, no, and, I, and I actually, I, and it was, it was, do you know what? It was more the act of going, I think, than necessarily what was said. It was the fact I'd made a positive decision yes. to go and and sit in a room and talk for an hour. And, I, and I'd still, she was like, she was always trying to let me, get me to let go, but I retain that slight British reserve about that sort of thing, and I'm not going to cry in here. Um, but what it basically turned out, I think, was that the breakup I hadn't got over was a fairly sort of brief um relationship a lovely one but fairly brief uh but i had been married and because my marriage had been a disaster um when i left that marriage it was so patently obviously a good idea to leave that marriage mm. that i never for a moment thought anything of it apart from this is the right thing to do but i'd actually had been married and and that had not worked and and that had, i hadn't really dealt with it so actually it was a really good thing to go and do that and it really that helped so i became quite I don't know if I'd say an advocate, but I was very pleased I'd done it. Mm. And I think, I mean, Peter Gabriel said something about therapy. He said, it's, you know, it's no big deal. It's just like it's like getting your car serviced. And I think if more therapy was available, so, you know, because again, you go back to the my parents' generation and, the, you know, we got through the war. You you were born after the war. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and um, both my parents were born during the war. I hope they don't listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> but they, um, I find un un unlikely, my, my father can't even work a mobile. But um, I, I'm distracting myself now, ADHD brain gone mad. Um, yeah, I, I, know, I thought it was a good thing to do. And then I, I stopped doing, I didn't do it for quite a long time, but I've done a bit of therapy since that I haven't been so, um, I haven't found it quite as useful, but then I'm doing some ADHD coaching at the moment, which is right. interesting because that's sort of like going partly going in um, hand in hand with sort of techniques for helping children who are mm, yeah. ADHD. But actually, because I, but I did do, I was having a tough time. This is what I think is going on, though. I think there is a massive, massive problem with ADHD, with not with ADHD, with with mental health. There's like genuinely an epidemic going on at the moment. We had yeah. two years of lockdown, which we are literally kind of approaching as kind of, oh, well, you know, that happened and now we move on. Don't need to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Um, oh, we and... definitely have PTSD and we haven't dealt with it. We haven't dealt with it at all and no. we don't want to talk about it. And we don't, I mean, interestingly, talking about my children, you get a thing, if they need extra help, you get a thing called an EHCP, which is educational help i can't remember exactly what it is but you need that to get them extra help within class mm. and 
that used to be for children of a certain level. There's now been such an exponential rise in the need for those of the, the wow. people being referred for them that I mean it's massive, like seriously massive, like percentage wise, not for, yeah. I think it's fifty percent, but it's something like that. That what have the government done? They've made the threshold higher. Mm. So rather than say there's a problem, they've gone, well, let's make the problem uh, more difficult to define. Yeah, and yeah, therefore, yeah. And I just look at this and go, I mean, we're going through hell at the moment with trying to get my daughter seen for something through the NHS. And they're going, well, uh, you need to do this course. So we do the course. And then we got another one going, yeah, but now you need to do that course. And you, we did that course. So we went to that course and they went, yes, we're not running any more courses this year, but you might want to go to that course. And we go, we've done that course, but it's like a Kafka nightmare at the moment. And we're just middle-class parents with luckily the financial wherewithal to help our kids achieve their mm. potential. Yeah. You look at the state of the place for those with, with less. Yeah. Um, which also impacts on your mental health. And, you know, I mean, I don't know about you. I I mean, I, I did after the after lockdown and with the kids really driving me mad. I, I went and did some therapy, which I I found useful, but not, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't feel it was really, I wasn't, I wasn't clicking into it. I wasn't quite mm. achieving much. I, 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 you know, I'm a fucking comedian. Of course I love sitting there and talking for an hour about myself every week. <laughs> but um, I didn't know if it was helping. And then, well, funnily enough, actually, I should tell that story about when I was meant to do that po- this podcast originally. Mm, yes. Do you remember? Because we, we'd said we'd do it. Yes. And so I had it booked in. We were going to do it. And I literally phoned you either on the morning or the night before and went, I'm really not in a good place. Could yeah. we maybe not do it? And you were brilliant. You were just like, of course, mate, that's absolutely fine. Um, because I was really struggling with my kids and I got put, and I, I yeah, I, basically I, Emily found me headbutting a wardrobe <laughs> oh, and, uh, and was like, you need some help. And she suggested getting some antidepressants um, because part of the treatment for when you're coming out of cancer is you're quite often given antidepressants to help you with your right. mental equilibrium and i'd never even considered antidepressants and i also have had quite a lot of friends who've been on them and just not found them great and getting off them mm. being horrible um and yeah so as a result i did uh popped on to uh sertraline oh which yeah i then saw it. you a yeah. gig. i saw you at a gig about three days later and went Oh yeah, sorry about that. They've uh, they put me on surgery, and you're like, "Oh right, surgery! <laughs> Fucking everyone's on that." I was like, "Oh good," and uh, that was interesting because the next time my kids made me really, really angry, I felt myself rising, and then it just kind of dissipated, and Ooh. I was like, "That's really positive," but also I don't want something that blunts my emotions. So no. it was positive for my kids, but I also kind of went, "I don't really." Want. Then I discovered, which is the other thing they don't tell you. Um, stops you ejaculating. I heard. Yes, I Yay. heard about this. <laughs> well, we had uh, had an incident, and my wife went, Are "You?" And I went, "I'm sorry, I don't know." She went, "Oh, it's the sertraline." I was like, "What?" And I googled it, and he went, "Yes, often the trouble." I've got a joke actually about it in the new show because I say uh, I was on antidepressants. Turns turns out the side effect they don't tell you about is uh, stops you ejaculating. How fucking depressing is that? <laughs> and. Uh, the one really no, so I can't dose them. The one thing to yeah, well, funny enough, I said the other thing is, of course, uh, the fact is that uh, it's depressing as it is. But when you're on them because of your children, you think, well, for fuck's sake, if you'd given them to me a few years ago, none of this shit would have happened. <laughs> which is a joke. Which is a joke in the new show, of which course. I'll be performing at the Comedy Store on November the twenty eighth. <laughs> and that is a beautiful way to finish. This has been lovely, Al. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, mate, it's, oh, it's mate. always a pleasure to speak to you. Sorry, I burbled oh, on we, and lost my thread a couple of times. No, 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 it's beautiful. Well, we, that's the thing. Like, you and I have been friends for many years, and we have we have enjoyed uh, many a, many a good time. The most memorable being in Bath, where I your my wearing uh, you. Your, your ex wife stockings on our head, and yes, you were naked. I don't even into the loo five minutes, not even five minutes. And I came back, and you two had turned into burglars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you were naked, so I don't think you were in any position well, to judge it. us. I ended up with my my hug you, <laughs> and my 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 junk was on your thigh, and you said, "Is your oh, is your my is your ball bag on my thigh?" Yeah. 
<laughs> that's when we knew that, that that friendship was one that was going to last forever. Uh, to Al, the extent, to the extent that I, I was able to send you a picture of my junk <laughs> in a deeply bruised state and go, this is what it could look like when you rest it against my leg in future. And I didn't even flinch. I went, oh, shit, yeah, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Al, what do you need to plug, mate? Where are you going to be? What are you going to do? Where are you on the socials? Well, I don't know if... Don't know if I mentioned it, but I'm uh, playing the Comedy <laughs> Store on November the 28th. Um, I'm on tour. Um, all the dates are at alistairbarry.com. Anyone in London, uh, I really would appreciate. Uh, it's the biggest venue I've ever played on my own. Comedy Store is the gig I've done more than any other gig on the planet. So I would love to see anyone and everyone down there, 28th of November. But if I'm near you, uh, it'll be on the website. Socials are all at Alistair Barry. Um, as uh, Stuart Goldsmith pointed out the other day, he, said, I, he thinks I'm the only person he's had on the podcast who's managed to get their own name without any deviation <laughs> on all the socials. Uh, so it's Alistair Barry with an I-E. And um, Rich, as ever, my love, it is such a joy to see you and talk to you. And I am lovely. really looking forward to seeing you being a daddy again. We shall have to uh, have a couple of days out where I just watch you and see that the, the grey beard has become even greyer as mine <laughs> is so doing. Keep, yeah, keep near because it's going to happen and I look forward to it. This has been Insane in the Membrane. Right, this has been my good friend, Alison Barry. I've been Rich Wilson. We'll see you next time. Insane in the Membrane. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk Shooting, live streaming and podcast production.